0: Let's turn to First Peter, if you will, this morning, First Peter chapter 1, and we're continuing this summer series through this great, great letter given to us by God. As you're turning there, I do want to add my thank you to all those who served in vacation Bible school this back past week. Uh, those people that you see around you looking sunburnt, <laughs> dragging around a little bit. Uh, they're the warriors. They've been here this week and ministering to hundreds. And I want to thank all who uh, gave their time and efforts for that outreach, especially thank Sondra Griffith and uh, Sonny Evans leading that children's ministry. A wonderful week. You know, I was just blessed on Friday evening as a a couple of the children uh, made sure their parents uh, brought them to me and they wanted to tell me how they've accepted Jesus as their savior this week. I wanna tell you, that was the highlight of my entire week. So we're grateful for uh, those who served and how the, how the Lord worked. First Peter, if you're using the Bible provided for you there, it's page 1014, is the focus of our summer series. And we are looking forward to continuing to journey through this great letter this, uh, these summer Sundays. Now, as we begin this morning, I, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you if, you if you know anyone that you actually try to never ask them how they're doing. <laughs> because they will tell you, all right? You, you know, don't look around when I ask you that, okay? Don't, just, just look right up here. Uh, some of us need to work on that. Some of us need to work on uh, a little more positive attitude I, I heard about one man who was so depressed, he depressed himself. And his, his friends, he had a couple of friends who loved him in spite of it, and they decided they were gonna do something for him and try to get him to see a brighter side of life, and so they decided to take him duck hunting. Thought that would cheer him up. And so they, they picked him up early one morning, and when they, they got him in the car, he said, It's too early. And then they, they finally, they got him out to, to the water's edge and he said, it's too cold to be out here. And they spent time you know, waiting for the ducks to come in and he a couple times said, we're not gonna get any. And finally, one of the men had just had all he could take and he said, watch this. And so he, he, sent, he sent his dog after one of the decoys that was out there in the water. And, the dog just walked out on the water. He, he, just, he just padded away right out on the water, picked up the decoy, came back, and dropped it at his master's feet. And the man said, hey, what do you think about that? And that fellow said, your dog can't swim, can he? <laughs> Aren't you encouraged by positive people? <laughs> We're encouraged by positive positive people. Almost a year ago, I asked someone how I was doing, you know, and there's all kinds of answers people give, but he gave an answer that I laughed a little when I heard it, but I, I, I took it to heart. I said, how are you doing? And he said, I'm living the dream. I'm, I'm living the dream. And I knew everything wasn't going just great for him, but he, his attitude was sincere. He said, I'm living the dream. And I started to think about that. And I've actually incorporated that into my own life to sometimes, you know, when someone asks you how you're doing, rather than just saying fine or great, super wonderful, blessed, just say, I'm living the dream. I'm living the dream. And I want you to know that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you are an exile. Bible says that home is not here for you. Bible says that you're not going to fit in. The Bible says, because of that, you're living the dream. You have an incredible dream that the Lord has given you to live out. Or we could actually say, as we're going to see this morning in our text. That when we live as beloved exiles and we are beloved and we are exiles, home is not here, that the life that we have to live is an excellent life. It's an excellent life and all of us are living the dreams, plural. We're living the dreams. Now, here's what Peter has to say to us, as he said to those first century Christians about living the dreams. Look at verse 10, beginning at chapter 1. Peter's talking about the great salvation of these beloved exiles. And he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ that was in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them That they were not serving themselves, but you. In the things that we have now, have now been announced to you. Through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which the angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. You shall be holy for I am holy. Now, yes, as followers of Jesus, we are exiles, but we're beloved exiles. And as beloved exiles, not quite fitting in here in this world, home is not here, but being people of God, Belonging to the family of God, we are, in amazing ways, living the dreams that went before for the people of God. Now, I want you to notice here that Peter is saying that as exiles, we are people about whom there have been from centuries past gospel prophecy. Gospel prophecies. We are people who are part of gospel prophecies. Did you notice that? Look at verse 10. He makes an amazing statement. These are very interesting, radical things that Peter says. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now these are amazing, unique verses. You you see, he he is desiring these believers. He's desiring these believers for whom salvation is so new and so radical Peter is desiring them to see that their salvation is really ancient. He takes it all the way back to the ancient prophecies that the message of the gospel was the focus of the prophets. And did you know here? notice here he said that there are three things about the prophets that he shares. Three things about these prophets who saw dimly... The message of Jesus and what was to happen to people because of Jesus. He says about the prophets that the prophets sought to understand. And then he says that the prophets had some things hidden from them. They they didn't understand. And then he says there were some things that these prophets did understand. Now, notice Peter says the prophets sought to understand what was being revealed to them. Verse 10 says they searched for these things. It says they searched and inquired carefully. That's interesting. That word to search and the word inquire is also, those are terms that were used of miners who were drilling for gold. They're they're digging for gold and they're searching diligently. And so these prophets, Peter says, were searching diligently into what the spirit of Christ was revealing to them. Now, isn't that interesting? Jesus Christ did not come into existence in Bethlehem, right? He is the eternal son of God. He pre-existed his birth. He's existed as a member of the Trinity for all eternity. And the spirit of Christ was active in the world, giving to men and women, prophets of old, an, an understanding about what was going to happen in his lifetime here on earth. The spirit of Christ was revealing things about Christ. And what was he revealing? Two great things. He says, the spirit of Christ was in these prophets revealing the sufferings of Christ. They they clearly saw that revealed in their minds as God gave them those visions, those revelations. They saw the sufferings of Messiah, but they also saw glories, the glories of Messiah. Messiah. And so they were were digging in, trying to understand what what does this mean? We're hearing from the Lord that Messiah is going to suffer, but we're hearing from the Lord that that he's going to be glorified. And the Bible says through Peter that these things were hidden from them. They, They didn't quite understand how can the sufferings of Messiah and the glories of Messiah, how can those two go together? I mean, you can imagine if you're Isaiah, for example, and, and as you are praying and waiting on the Lord and the Lord is giving you revelations to, to write down for the people of Israel, and you know you're writing them down for people to come, and, and you, you, are being, you, you are having revealed to you things like this about Messiah. He was wounded for our transgressions. He, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes, we are healed. You're you're receiving messages like that about Messiah, but you're also receiving messages like this. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. And under Messiah, the knowledge of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. People will not learn war anymore. They they will beat their spears into pruning hooks. They'll beat their swords into plowshares. Uh, Nation will not rise up against nation. And there will be peace in his kingdom. A little child will be able to play upon the hole of a poisonous viper. How can this be? How, How can this be? See, what was hidden... What was hidden from the, apostles, the, the prophets, rather, was our age, what, what we know now. They, they were looking at the prophecies given to them about Messiah, and it's like they could see two huge mountains. Messiah is going to suffer. And Messiah is going to be glorified. But they couldn't see. There was this time period in between when Messiah, yes, would come to suffer and establish his spiritual kingdom in the hearts of his people. And yes, Messiah would come again physically to bring his kingdom to this earth, but in between there will be a people of all nations, Jews, Gentiles of all nations, caught out, brought together to be the family of God, the church of Jesus Christ, and these exiles will bring glory to him while they walk through this earth. They, they could not quite see all of that. It was a mystery. And it was only especially through the apostle Paul that that was revealed. But now I want you to notice there was something the prophets did understand. They did understand this, verse 12. They understood it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. They realized that these visions that they were receiving were not for themselves. They were not serving themselves, but it was for you. Their, their ministry was not about themselves. Their ministry, centuries before, was about serving us with the message of the Lord. See, they, they were prophets for our prophet. They were prophets for our prophet. Now before we go on, I've got, to, I've got to pause here in the message. That's a very interesting passage of scripture. It's, it's very, very challenging to, to open it up about how the, prophet, the prophets saw some things but they, they didn't see it all and how they inquired but didn't quite understand But what I want you to focus on is what they did understand and what they were willing to do. Here's a couple of questions I would ask you and I would ask you maybe write them down. Even think about them this week. First question is this. Can you identify with the prophets and their diligence to search the word of God? They didn't quite understand what God was saying and they dug into his word like precious treasure. They were digging with diligence to search. They were searching to know what is God saying. I, I want to ask this, this this morning. I want to ask you seriously. Seriously. How often do you prayerfully with the Bible, with meditation, earnestly search to know what God is saying to you? Can you identify with the prophets? Are you diligently searching? You know, the Bible is filled with treasures. But I want to tell you something. The choice treasures for you in the Bible are not lying around on the surface. You got to dig in. You got to pray and dig in and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? Second thing I want you to notice about these prophets, and I would ask us, Can you identify with their devotion to serve? Can you identify with their devotion to serve? Can you identify with their diligence to search? But secondly, can you identify with their diligence to serve? What did they come to understand? That the things being given to them were not for them, but for us. How many of you know that when God gives you a word, It's not just for you. It's for you, yes, but for you to give as a blessing to others. You never know what the Lord's gonna do when you share the word that he's given to you. I remember one time in 2000, I was sitting right over here on the second row. I hadn't been able to... Preach in this church for months, going through this strange illness. That for six months, I wasn't able to preach, I wasn't able to teach, I wasn't able to talk on the phone, I wasn't able to counsel, I couldn't have devotions with my children, I couldn't drive my car because I had double vision. And I didn't want to come to church. Hardest thing to do was to come to church and have hundreds of people ask you how you're doing. And then you as their pastor lie to them right there in church. It was hard. Hard to come to church. See the church growing, offerings going up, people blessed, and you can't say a word. Honestly, that was a blessing to know it was that this was a strong congregation. But I want to tell you what happened one day. We were singing. Brother back here came down this aisle, middle of the song. He put his hand on my shoulder. He said, I have something to tell you. I don't even know why I'm telling you. This would be the least likely person you'd ever imagine to do this. He said, all I know is the Lord this week and in, while we're worshiping has told me to tell you this morning Sam, this is not about you, it's about us. And he just walked back down. And I want to tell you, I would not give a million dollars for what that one statement meant to me. Because the enemy was beating me down, tearing me down, thinking something was wrong in my life. I had failed him. What had happened? And I was turned so inward and I was so selfish in my trial. God gave a word to a dear brother and it was like a cup of water in a desert soul. Folks, I want to tell you, When God gives you something from his word, it's not to give you a big head. It's to touch your heart with humility and looking for opportunity to be a blessing to others with that that God has given to you. For centuries, the gospel was only a dream of the prophets. It was just just a dream. But then Peter says, now it has become a reality. Do you see this? They are beloved exiles. And they are people now who are people of the gospel. They live in gospel realities. It's not a dream anymore. Look at verse 12. He says, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now circle that the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven things into which the angels long to look gospel dreams gospel realities in these people now the gospel is it's a message what's the reality it's a message of good news St. Peter says, this has been revealed to you, the preached message of good news. How many of you know the gospel is good news to people far from God? It's good news. It's not a message to beat us down. It's good news. It's reality of a love of sinners by a holy God sacrificing his son. This gospel message, he says, it's being proclaimed. It's being shared. The Holy Spirit is working through those who've shared the good news with you. Speaking of those who are the preachers in particular, he says, they have come and they have announced to you the good news, which has brought you into saving grace with Christ. The message that we have to proclaim, because the message of the gospel notice this third thing about the gospel, it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? He says, "These things are for you. They've been announced to you through those who preach the news, good news to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Friends, the great witness of the gospel is not you or me. The great witness of the gospel is the Holy Spirit who has been sent to testify of Jesus. And when you are sharing a word of the good news, you are sharing your hope in Christ. When you are sharing the message of the gospel in any way that you share it, the Holy Spirit has been sent to empower that message. And change people's lives. Peter knew something about the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, didn't he? He was in that prayer meeting when the Holy Spirit came on the 120. He was there. When the sound of the mighty wind and the flames of fire. And he was there when he stood and began to speak to the multitudes. And he was there when the thousands were converted. He knew the amazing power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, this spirit has come to you. Who are also sharing this amazing grace. This gospel's amazing grace, and you know how amazing the gospel is? Let me tell you how amazing the gospel is. It amazes the angels. Did you notice that? Into these things which the angels long to look. You know the only other time that's used in the Bible, that verb, you know the only other time it's used? It's used to describe Peter and John running to the tomb of Jesus. And it says, they peered in. Now Peter, he went on in. But they, they peered into the empty tomb, tr- trying to understand what this means. And here he is saying, the angels are amazed by salvation. Uh, The angels in heaven can't wrap their minds around it. They can't understand how the Lord could love such people as us. They they can't begin to comprehend how God himself would leave his throne and come. Can you imagine the angels when they saw their Lord nailed to a cross? What does this mean? How is it possible? And these angels seeing their Lord dead rising from the dead and now sending out people around the world, they're amazed by it. They, they can't understand it. It's beyond them. We are told the angels rejoice in our salvation, Right? The Bible says there is joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. The angels can rejoice in our salvation, but the angels can never understand the joy of our salvation. They've never known what it means to be lost and to be redeemed. They never know what it means to have been a slave of sin and become a child of God. They can't understand it. They they try to look into it, but it's beyond them. Just this week, I was uh, looking at an old black and white video of Billy Graham preaching in the 1957 New York crusade. Amazing work of the Lord. that happened there for weeks. Powerful, powerful preaching that God gave to him. Thousands and thousands converted. But while I was watching this video, before he got up to preach, here came George Beverly Shea. You know him? He's now with the Lord. I think he lived to be about 400, but he's now with the Lord. And he walked up there in that baritone voice, and there he is in Madison Square Gardens, and he begins to sing. And this is what he sang. Holy, holy is what the angels sing. And I expect to help them make the courts of heaven ring. But when I sing redemption's story, the angels cannot sing. Because angels have never known the joy that my salvation brings. Mysteries of the gospel, but the realities, the realities, amazing grace. It's amazing, but it's real. And that leads to gospel responsibilities. And this is what I want to leave you with this morning. And we will pick this up as we begin next Sunday. But notice he says with these realities, comes great responsibilities. Dreams that become realities bring responsibility. Over and over again through First Peter, he's gonna talk about how our dreams, our hopes bring responsibilities. When I was growing up in Indiana, most of the boys in my hometown had one dream, and that dream was to play for the Trojans, to play for the Newcastle Trojans. That was our high school basketball team. You know, high school basketball, I'm telling you, Vol football, as exciting as it is in this community, you can't imagine the Hoosier hysteria of high school basketball. And our town was the capital of it. As a matter of fact, the Indiana High School Basketball Ball Hall of Fame is in my hometown. Our high school had the largest high school in the world, had the largest basketball, high school basketball gymnasium in the world. Still is. 9,300 seats. 9,300. Our city had 20,000 people. My junior year, they sold 5,200 season tickets. Season tickets. Packed out every game. Every boy's dream was to play. You get a locker with your own name on it. Inside the locker is that Kelly Green and White uniform. Your number. They give you two pairs of Chuck Taylor All star basketball shoes. You get a letter jacket with a big N on it for Newcastle and a basketball on it. And then on Fridays, only you, only you 12, get to wear the Kelly Green Sport Cup with the Trojan head on the pocket. I want to tell you, that was a dream. It was a dream to make the team. But I want to tell you, with that Kelly Green jacket and the leather jacket and the Chuck Taylor All-Star tennis shoes and with the jersey and the uniform, when you ran out that tunnel and there's 9,000-plus people watching, It got serious. (laughs) Because the next day in our little paper, there'd be a play-by-play of how the game went. It would be there. It would be the talk of the town. It got real serious responsibilities. When the dream becomes reality, it brings responsibilities. And here you see in verses 13 to 16, there are gospel responsibilities that go with living the dream. Listen to them. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you be holy for I am holy. There's gospel responsibilities for us Who know Jesus. What are those gospel responsibilities. To us who know the dream. The first one is. Get ready. Get ready. Verse 13 says. Therefore prepare your minds for action. Literally means to gird up your minds. In those days people would wear a robe. Men would wear a robe. And when they had to get ready for work. They'd take the bottom of that robe. And stick it in their leather belt. So that they could. Work with greater freedom. We might say today, take off your coat, roll up the sleeves of your mind, get your mind right, get serious. This is an incredible privilege to be a Christian, but it's serious business, right? Get ready. Then Peter, in a way, says, get set, get set. Verse 13, he says, therefore, prepare your minds for the action and being sober-minded, serious-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Fix your gaze on the finish line. Fix your gaze on the end of your life. Fix your gaze on the end of the race, when you will experience the ultimate grace that is the revealing of Jesus Christ, set your mind on that. Get serious about your life and the end of your life and appearing before Jesus and Jesus appearing before you. Get ready, get set, And then stop. Get ready. Get set. Stop. Stop the old patterns. Stop the old patterns. Verse 14. As obedient children do not be conformed. Literally stop conforming yourself to the passions of your former ignorance. Remember who you are, obedient children. Remember whose child you are. Remember who you are in him and stop conforming yourself. That's the second time that's used in the Bible. The only other time was by Paul who said what? Stop being conformed to this world, but be being tra- transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, 2. Here he's saying, stop trying to fit in. That's what it means. Some of us here wearing yourself out because you're trying to fit in. If you are an exile, guess what? You're not going to fit in. You're not supposed to fit in. Stop trying to fit in to the old desires. And the old desires here doesn't mean just lustful desires and moral desires. No, it means the old passions, the old things that that compelled you, the old ways that you focused on. Remember your calling. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Get ready, get set, stop, then go. Go. Go for God. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. What are we called to pursue? We're called to pursue holiness. Holiness means to be different. To be set apart. And we are different. We're to be different because the one who has called us to himself is different. How many of you know there is no one like our God? There's no one like him. He is holy. He's totally different, totally set apart. And so he says, as he who has called you is holy, you are his children, now you pursue holiness. For your father, the one who called you, is holy. Be different. You're exiles. Home is not here. Pursue holiness. When we talk about pursuing holiness, a lot of people think this. Well, what do I have to give up? I know, I know, I gotta be holy. So what have I gotta give up? Let's get the list out. Stop doing this, stop doing that, stop doing this, stop doing that. (sighs) Really not having fun, we'll get to heaven, I guess that'll be okay. How, how, how wrong is that you say, remember your calling your calling listen brothers and sisters your calling is not to something your calling is to someone if you're a Christian let me tell you what happened to you one day Jesus Christ by his spirit came to you and said come follow me. That's what happened. You may not have understood that was what was happening for you. It might've been vacation Bible school or might've been your mom and dad having devotions with you. It could have been a Sunday school class. It could have been some literature you read. You you don't remember those exact situations, but I want to tell you, it was Jesus by his Spirit who said to you, come follow me. So what is your calling, Christian? Your calling is not to stop doing some stuff so God won't be mad at you and you'll get to heaven someday. That's not your calling. Your calling's not to something. Your calling is to someone. It's to follow Jesus and to be with Jesus. The Bible says Jesus chose 12 disciples that they might be with him and he might send them out to proclaim the gospel. The reason some of us here are miserable is because you think being a Christian is things that you don't get to do and things that you have to do. And that's not what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to be called to be with Jesus. So the question is, how do you get with Jesus? How do you get with him? It's spending time in his presence. It's in prayer it's in his word. It's listening to his spirit. It's gathering in times like this that we are with Jesus. We're called to be with Jesus and then he sends us out. But now here's where I'm going, folks. Listen to me. Holiness is not something you work up. It's something Jesus works out as you treasure him above all other things. As he is your treasure, as you follow him, then he is changing you, making you more like himself and he becomes sweeter and more valuable and the ways of the world and the priorities of the world Become less and less important. I love the story of Moses. Moses was called up to Mount Sinai. He was called to go up there and be in the presence of God. Thunder and lightning and shaking. And Moses walked up into that dark cloud. Wow. But while he was up there, scared out of his mind, the Lord began to show him his glory. And he began to pray in God's presence. Lord, show me your glory, reveal yourself to me. And God said to him, I can't show you my face. Nobody can see me really and live, but I I will give you a glimpse just just a little glimpse. And the, God, the Bible says God walked in front of Moses and proclaimed his name. He began to reveal himself to Moses as Moses was up on that mountain. And then Moses came down and he had the Ten Commandments with him. Yes. But when the people saw him, what happened? They, they, they couldn't stand to look at him. Because his face was shining so much. <laughs> and they said, we can't look at you, Moses. you got to put a veil on. you got to put something on your face. And then I love what the Bible says. Listen carefully. It says, Moses did not know his face was shining. Moses didn't come from the presence of God saying, look at this suntan. I mean, real suntan. Look at this. Or listen, listen. You won't believe what God gave me and what he revealed to me. Oh, do I know some stuff? No. He came out of the presence of God with the glory of God on him. And he didn't even recognize it. You see, here's what God does with people who will spend time with him, who will draw near to him and pray to him and open his word and call upon him. People who will choose to be with him. Here's what God does. God inspires them and he illuminates them, but he doesn't inflate them. You see, God specializes in illuminating and not inflating. What we need, what this world needs, is not people going around pointing out the darkness and everything. What this world needs is some living reflectors of the glory of Jesus who just live with the Lord's presence upon them.